0: Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Lord, that not only did you step out into darkness, but Lord, truly, again, you've opened our eyes to the truth of who you are. You've brought us out of the darkness into the light. We thank you and praise you and worship you, Lord. And we ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher. And we ask in desperation, Lord, we want to know you better. We're so desperate. We're so hungry. Feed us, fill us, minister to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Well, it's been a unique day. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be here. I wasn't here on Sunday, so I'm doing everything I can't. I've had a bloody nose that just won't stop. So if it just starts bleeding again, I told Bill, have a message and just come on up here. <laughs> Because this thing has been just running down my face. So uh, I've got tissue, and hopefully it'll stop. I've never had that happen before, but there it is. All right. Well, that being said, uh, it being a unique day today, I was unable to completely prepare the message for tonight. And as I've always told you, I will never get up here and teach you a chapter I'm unprepared to teach because God's going to grade me on that one day. And you know what? We're not doing that. So, amen. So, uh, we will be in Genesis 29 next week. So, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Interestingly enough, I titled the message Giving Ministry Away. I may be doing that in a few minutes if my nose starts bleeding again. Amen. God's faithful. All right. So we come to this point, now Deuteronomy, obviously we're in Genesis on, on Wednesday night, so Deuteronomy moves several years ahead, but not as many as you might think, just about 40 or so, because you know, once we get, well actually a lot longer than that, because when, 40 from the end of Exodus until Deuteronomy, but we have this time where now Moses... Who was, you know, raised up in the book of Exodus, Moses, the man who'd been used mightily by God, is now going to be phased out and going to be giving ministry away to Joshua. But he's going to be giving ministry away to more than just Joshua. But what's interesting about this, if anybody was ever, from the world's perspective, or even from, you know, the church's perspective, if you looked at who is the guy who is the most hard to replace. Outside of the Lord himself, it might have been Moses. Think about Moses. He was the man who, before he was even born, was chosen by God. He was a man who had been rescued from death as an infant and raised as a prince in Egypt. His name Moses means to draw out because he was drawn out of the water. He spent 40 years in a position of power and wealth. He was educated in the things of this world. He understood the Egyptian way of life. He knew what it was like to to lead and to have authority. If he had remained, he was potentially the future Pharaoh in line to be the most powerful man in the world. But then we saw in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses, having a burden for his people, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when the word got back to Pharaoh, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses escapes out into the desert and he settles in Midian. He marries, he has children. So this great and awesome prince becomes a shepherd. The man who had spent 40 years trying to become somebody now spends 40 years in the world's eyes becoming a nobody. He goes from being a somebody to being a nobody. But then we see that as he spends 40 years on the backside of the desert, 40 being a number of testing in the Bible, God is preparing him for something greater. And So we see in Exodus chapter 2, the end of the chapter, God heard the groaning of his people in Egyptian bondage, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who we'll be talking about next week, and looked upon them and acknowledged them. So the people cry out. They've been in bondage 400 years. Why are they in bondage? Because they disobeyed God. They begin to finally cry out to the Lord. They finally come to the end of themselves. As they cry out to the Lord, God then appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 in a burning bush. And imagine if you're out watching sheep, pretty uneventful day unless a wolf, you know, wanders by. And you're there and all of a sudden you look up and you see a a bush on fire, but it's not burning like a bush normally would. And you draw near to it and the bush starts talking to you. Now, you're a shepherd, you're out by yourself, you might think, what in the world? But then the Lord tells him, take off your feet, you know, for, take off your sandals for your, your feet standing on holy ground. And then he tells him that he has a command for him to go and be the deliverer to bring the people out of bondage. And if you remember Moses' response, I'm a stutterer. That's what he says. I, I, I can't speak. How am I going to go and bring those people out of bondage? But Moses was the right guy. God said to him, go and I will be with you. You know, and again, he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children out? Go, because I will be with you. So the Lord was with Moses, and he used him to speak to Pharaoh, to deliver his warning about the coming plagues. And after Passover, he led them out of that bondage of 400 years. So it was Moses who had raised his staff once they got to the other side. He brings them out of bondage. He's the one that told them to let the people go. He's the one who God used to speak to Pharaoh mightily. Now he's the one when their backs against the Red Sea. He held with the staff and the sea parted and they walked through on to the other side he went up to mount sinai and spoke to god he spoke to god because the people were afraid remember that god spoke from mount sinai and when they heard it they said oh don't let him talk to us anymore we can't take that you know that's how it ought to be when it comes to god we ought to have a reverence for him amen and what happens is they were so afraid they said moses you know you're the you're the guy you go talk to him and you come tell us what he has to say So he went up on Mount Sinai. He's the one that spoke to God. He got to see the backside of his glory. Remember that he hit hit him in the cleft of the rock. He put his hand over him and he got to see the backside of his glory. It had such an impact on Moses that when he came down, his face was glowing to the point that he had to put a veil over his face. This is Moses. This is our guy. He had walked before them in the wilderness. He brought the Ten Commandments down to them, the very oracles of God. He interceded on their behalf when they were in rebellion. Remember at one point, God, you know, Moses comes down and he's upset with the people. And he says, you know, why don't we just start over? God says, oh, you know, all right, let's just start over. Me and you, Moses, I'll just wipe them all out. Moses goes, oh, wait a minute. I love those people. Even if they are three million whiners. And I'm pastoring the worst church in human history. Three million whining people who want to go back to Egypt to leeks and onions. Please don't kill them. So Moses is the intercessor. He's interceding on their behalf. If anybody was irreplaceable, it would seem to me Moses. He continued to love them even as they sought to kill them. He was God's spokesman, spokesman to his children. He was a prince, a shepherd, a deliverer, the spokesman for the Lord, the intercessor, intercessor on behalf of the people for God. In type, he's a picture of our Savior. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd, our Deliverer, the Word who became flesh, who intercedes on our behalf and continues to love us even as we rebel against him. All these are things that were pictured in Moses. So Moses seems irreplaceable. And in these final chapters, again, we're going to see that he's going to still tell the people where the real answer is. He's going to tell them, it's not me, it's the Lord. God has used me, but the only reason God has done anything good has happened in me is because God's done it. And today we have this—sadly, we as people we fall in love with people. We have hero worship. We think if so and so got saved, how awesome would that be? God could really use that guy because he's so charismatic. You know what? God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God's not real impressed with our resume. Amen. God doesn't care how great we think we play music. Oh, that guy got saved. Just think, hey, we want to see everyone saved. And everyone is equally important in the eyes of God. And God can use rocks to cry out his name if he needs to. But the point here is that there's this panic, no doubt. Moses has been the guy for 40 years who has led them through the wilderness. Now they're about to enter into the land of promise. The entire generation, book of Numbers, has passed away because they refused to enter in. They refused to enter in out of the fear of man. God had told them, the land's yours. They wouldn't go in because they heard about the giants in the land. And now they're back there again. The next generation is about to enter in, and fear has entered into the camp. So he's going to talk, and we're going to look at this in tonight's text, about giving ministry away. And we're going to see the example that Moses gives, gives us to follow. To give ministry away to the man that God raises up. To emphasize the importance of God's word. To entrust God's word to the people who will take good care of it. To warn both the current and future generations of the heavy consequences of rebelling against God. Moses' ministry would not end at his death, but he was going to entrust it into the hands of the next generation. Nobody is irreplaceable. Nobody. God can use anybody, but he can do it with nobody if he wants to. I remember Pastor Don telling me when i be, you know, my senior pastor in San Jose. He used to tell me, Dave... The success of a ministry is not determined by how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. If you're not there and ministry ceases, then the ministry is built around you instead of the Lord. If it's built around the Lord, you should, you know, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, the ministry ought to continue on. Amen? And the point is, the only way that happens is if ministry is being given away. So this is a burden I have. You'll notice that very rarely, when I'm not here, which is rare, when I'm not here somebody who's a pastor here is going to teach why because we need to give ministry away to the people who are here our heart is that if god is raising up someone to do something he'll raise somebody up within the body that's already here that feels called to be here as opposed to going out and getting a search committee and trying to find a new pastor That should not be happening if we are giving ministry away. If we are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that's what we're called to do. And that's the example that Moses is going to give us. So if you are a note taker, giving ministry away, there's going to be seven points. Number one, by taking all the focus off you and placing it on God. How do you give ministry away? Don't say do as I do. Point to the Lord. Now we can be an example to somebody, but we are not the example. We can be unexampled, we're not the example. And if we're an example to people, they need to know that we fail and that we have feet of clay and that we make mistakes. We need to make that clear to them. But he says, the instruction here is take the focus off of yourself and place it on God. Number two, identify those who God has called. Men call no one. God calls men and women, amen? The most we do is recognize it. We see it, we recognize it. Ordination, when we ordain somebody, it's simply man laying on of hands and agreeing what God has already done. And this is true for every ministry. You recognize calling. If Someone's called by God, it's obvious. Number three, place a strong emphasis on the absolute necessity of the teaching, reading, and studying of God's word. Guys, what's the theme verse of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz? Faith comes by hearing and... And hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 was a verse God put on my heart before we ever started this church. Why? Because the word of God is key. It's the plumb line for truth. If we do not know the word of God, we'll be easily uh, fall away from the Lord and get caught up into things that are not true. Fourthly, the desperate need for intimacy with God. If you're going to give ministry away... We need to encourage people and exhort them about how important it is to have intimate fellowship with God. Too often people run to men when they've spent no time with God. I believe that if we spend more time with God, we would rarely ever need to run to a man. Amen? If we spend more time with the Lord, I'm really blessed when someone will say, I'll say, hey, I want to come meet with you. I'll say, great, and that's what we're called to do. I'm called here to counsel you, to minister you any way I can. I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like the rest of you. But what really blesses me, well, maybe we'll set an appointment for Sunday after church, and then after the message, we'll come up and go, never mind. What happened? It was answered in the message. The word of God took care of it, amen? If we have intimate fellowship with the Lord, that's the best, he is the mighty counselor. He's the one that we turn to. Number five, seeing people through God's eyes. If we're to give ministry away, if we're to have the ministry, a real heart of ministry, we need to see people through the same eyes that the Lord sees them. Number six, being faithful to God's calling today. Not next week, not next year, today. Amen? You know what? There's a saying, you know, Satan, if he can't convince you there's no God, oh, no God, they won't believe that. Instead, he'll substitute, no hurry. No hurry. Take your time. You can serve God later. You got other things you got to do. You got those classes to take. You got this goal to accomplish. You got this promotion to get. You know, you got to you got to achieve those things first. You got to be successful before you can start really serving God. Guys, real success is serving God. And too often we get that messed up. And and Moses is about to leave. And this is kind of like his last words as he's exhorting them. And the words that come from him are really profound for us today. And then finally, put the word into the hands of those who will protect it and won't be afraid to proclaim it boldly. This is my prayer for the next generation. You know, as a Calvary Chapel pastor, one of my burdens for this movement, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, this will mean nothing to you. But you know what? When the movement first started, Pastor Chuck has always said that a movement will become a memorial as soon as we stop teaching the word. And the memorial, then the buildings will become monuments to what God had once done a long time ago. And now that first generation of Calvary pastors from the 60s and 70s are getting a little bit older. And my burden is for my generation and the generation after me that we would not fail to declare the whole counsel of God with great boldness. As soon as we cease to do that, this ministry ought to stop. And so the exhortation that Moses has, the concern that comes from the Lord is that to put the word of God into the hands of those who will faithfully protect it and boldly proclaim it. So let's begin in verse one, giving ministry away by taking all the focus off of you and placing it on God. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. It's his 120th birthday. So on his birthday, he gets up in front of the people, and he was 80 years old when he was called by God at the burning bush. So now 40 years have passed. And as I said before, he spent 40 years trying to become somebody when he was in Egypt. Then he spent 40 years becoming a nobody, and finally, the last 40 years, proving God can use anybody. Amen? He can take a guy who's been kicked out of his hometown, chased off by his own family, been banished out to the desert, and now God uses him mightily. That would be an encouragement to all of us. Now Moses, indeed, as I said, he was a very irreplaceable man from the eyes of the people, but he was a man that God could use because he was available and for no other reason. Forty years in ministry, it was time for Moses to, set a, to step aside, to put the ministry into the hands of others. And it's not because he was too old, but at this point, it was because he had disobeyed the Lord. He had disqualified himself from going further in ministry. We know from other texts that his eyes were not dim. He could still see perfectly. He was still, he's still strong as he was in his younger days. He's soon going to climb to the top of a mountain. But when he says I could no longer go in and out, it was, he meant I, could no, I am no longer able to lead the people, not because of my physical limitations, but because of God's righteous judgment. Why did he lose his opportunity to lead God's people? Why? Because he misrepresented God. How did he do that? The people were murmuring. And remember, they were crying out, and they wanted water. And the first time, the Lord told them, speak to the rock. He smote the rock. And then the next day, he said, speak to the rock and I will pour out water. And Moses was angry at the people, and he said, God is angry with you. And he reached out, and he smote the rock. The rock being a picture of Jesus Christ. Guys, we're not to smote the Lord. We're to speak to him, amen? And we're to speak to him humbly. We don't beat the Lord. We don't attack the Lord. We speak to the Lord, and he will pour out torrents of rushing living water upon us, amen? But what happened was, he said, you've misrepresented me in front of the people, so Moses, you will not enter the land of promise now this seems pretty harsh because when he came down from the mount mount sinai people were you know having an orgy was out of control he's in the wilderness and they're crying about the manna and they're i mean they're just a train wreck of people and yet some of those who had murmured against god that next generation the younger ones who had murmured in the wilderness were going to get to enter in but moses the faithful servant of god would not be able to enter in does that seem fair guys you must understand something the Bible says, let not many of you be teachers. Why? Because you will be held to a higher level of accountability. You will, you will receive stricter judgment, it says in James chapter 3. So Moses was going to lose his position of authority, but he would be able to enter into the land of promise at all. Not just unable to leave, but unable to go. And may seem like a harsh punishment, but let not many of you be teachers. You know what? I'll ask someone to, to teach and they're, they're afraid, and that's good. That, uh, that's good. If someone's not afraid, I'm worried. Why? Because when we stand up and teach, I don't care if we're teaching the five year olds, we're teaching in the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study, we need to remember that we're going to be accountable. And so we should come with fear and trembling. And if we ever lose the fear and trembling, we need to stop teaching. Because we need not rest in ourselves, but rest in him. There needs to be fear as far as reverence and awe for the Lord because of what he's about to have us do. In the coming verses, you're going to see that Moses doesn't complain once. He recognizes that God is a righteous God, a faithful God, and a just God. And notice what he says to them. So he's going to be stepping down. He's telling them, I can no longer go in and go out. You can imagine the three million or so people that are there, maybe in full panic mode. They're losing their pastor, if you will. They're losing the guy who talks to God. The one guy who came down from the mountain. The one guy who has always led them. The one guy who intercedes for them when they blow it. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, yeah, it's going to be, you guys are chapped. You won't have me anymore. I don't know what you're going to do with yourselves. Because you'll never find anyone like me. Buy my books. Get my tapes. I mean, you know, maybe, you know. It's not what he does. Look at verse 3. Look what he says. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. You know what? I can't go with you. Don't worry about it. God's going before you. He's always the one that led the way. I simply followed him. He's still leading. He's still in control. He's still faithful. The Lord is the one who will cross over before you. Moses had led the nation for 40 years, but the only people that they had ever the only leader they had ever known, but they needed to realize that their real leader has always been the Lord. They need not be afraid because again, the Lord is the one leading them. It says he will not destroy, the, he will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. And Joshua himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said. He will destroy the nations. There were seven nations of fear giants within the land. And notice he says he will win the battle. He doesn't say, well, now that you don't have me, I hope things work out. He says instead, God's going before you. The battle's already been won. You just follow him. You obey him. You're going to get to see God do great and awesome things. How do we give ministry away? We point people to the Lord always. He's the answer. Keep pointing them to him. Have them fall in love with him. It's a natural outpouring of who they are in Christ. He will give you the victory you shall dispossess them take their countries their cities their houses their fields and their vineyards there's no you know there is a peace and knowing that god goes before us you know what you need to know that in the morning when you're driving to work god's going before you you need to know when you're walking down the street to go share your faith when that divine appointment is coming when you're preparing to teach the children in the children's ministry whatever it is god has called you to do know that god has gone before you You're not alone. He never leaves us. He's faithful. And you plus God is a majority. And the exhortation is, guys, I'm not going with you, but God has always been the one leading the way. He's going to go before you. You're going to have the victory. He's a faithful God. He'll never cease to be God. And then he says at the end of that verse, Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. Joshua was no stranger to the children of Israel. Joshua had been serving them Well, ever since they left Egypt, he was Moses' servant long before he was his successor. It was Joshua who led the Jewish army in defeating the Amalekites when they attacked them on their exodus out of Egypt. It was Joshua who had been with Moses on Mount Sinai. He was the one of the 12 spies who scattered out the land and one of only two that came back with a good report. The other 10 came back and said, oh man, there's giants in the land. He came back with Caleb carrying grapes. Going, dude, land flowing with milk and honey, it's everything God said, let's go tear those guys up because God's with us. And they listened to the 10 spies rather than the two faithful. And sometimes that's a proportion of the way people approach us, amen? The 10 faithless to the two faithful. But Joshua had been one of those faithful, one of the two that was over the age of 40 at that time that would enter into the land of promise. You know what? He was in pastoral training all this time. He was already serving. He was already there. It was obvious to everyone. You know what? Makes sense. You know, when we ordain somebody here, very rarely, people used to go, I thought he was already a... Are you kidding me? I thought... You know why? Because you don't become a pastor or you don't become a teacher and then start living a certain way. You live a certain way already. That's evidence of calling on your life. Amen? Calling has a lot more to do with character than it does gifting. You go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's 13 characteristics of a pastor. 12 speak of character, one speaks of gifting. More important than how gifted you are is how intimate your fellowship is with the Lord. How much you know him, how faithfully you serve him. That's far more important. Give me someone with a servant's heart that's learning to teach over the greatest teacher in the world who has yet to learn to have a servant's heart. Character. Joshua was a man of character. He'd been a servant. Because he was a faithful servant, he would be a faithful leader. A man who cannot serve is a man who cannot lead. Now, I've said this to you many, many times, but for those of you who may not have been here, it bears repeating. I love the fact that Moses is also a type in the Bible of the law. He wrote the five books of the law, right? God used him. He is a picture of the law. And Joshua... His name, that name is also transliterated Yeshua, Jesus. See, Moses could not bring them into the land of promise, only Jesus can. You know why? The law can't save you, only Jesus can. Amen? The type is perfect here. Jesus Christ, you can't keep the law, you can't be good enough. The law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. So the law couldn't bring them in. And here Moses is telling them, I'm not going to be able to pass over. Most importantly, the Lord is going before you and Joshua is going to be a guy he uses. But most importantly, it's God. Joshua is just going to be the guy he uses. Verse 4, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land when he destroyed them. Sion and Og were the Amorites camped just outside of the, of the Jordan, outside of the land of promise on the east side. That's where Ruman and Gad and half of the tribe Manasseh would settle because they didn't want to go into the land of promise. They missed out on God's highest. But notice he says, just like you wiped out these giants, he's going to wipe those out too. Isn't it great to be able to look back and see where God came through again and again and again and again? Doesn't it build your faith that he's going to do it again in the future? When you were going through a tough time and it seemed impossible and God, of course, comes through because he's faithful and you go, now you're facing it again and you can say he did it before, he'll do it again. He's reminding them of all God had done so they could have faith going forward. God had given them complete and total victory over a once feared enemy and now he's going to do it again. Look back at God's grace, look back at his power, and it should cause us to have greater faith in the future. Notice again the common theme in these verses. Verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. Verse 4, the Lord will do to them. Verse 5, the Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. We can't say the Lord enough. The Lord will do it, the Lord will do it, the Lord has done it, the Lord is faithful, to him be all the glory. Amen? Can I encourage you with something? I know I have a temptation sometimes, and maybe you do too. Something good happens, we start to take credit. It can even be at work. Somebody comes and tells you how a wonderful job you're doing. Again, I think every one of those is an opportunity to point them to Jesus. You know what? I'm just a tool in the hand of the master. Praise God. You know what? God is faithful. Any gift I have, God gave it to me. You know, they might get tired of hearing it, but that's okay. Keep pointing them to the Lord, because that's what Moses is doing. Amen? You know, they might have said, it's your birthday, you're 120, we've got to have a party for Moses. You know, he can't go over with us, let's have a going away party for me. And all he says is, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He keeps pointing them to Jesus. Don't look at me, look at him, amen? And that ought to be the heart of every one of us. The Lord will give them over to you. His clear focus is on the Lord, and the work will continue even after he's gone. Then he says, every commandment which I have commanded you, What are the commandments? To destroy their enemies, to make no covenant with them, to not enter into marriage with them, to demolish their altars, cut down their groves and break their idols. You know, he's telling them, look, you don't go in and become like them. Guys, a frustration I have as a pastor, if I hear it again, I'm going to be sick. And so that means I'm probably going to be sick. Because here's the truth. I keep hearing this. We need to be more like the world. No, we don't. Amen? Amen? What are we going to do to be more attractive to the world? We ought to go down to the bar and just drink alcohol with everybody so we fit right in with them. Hey! I've seen pastors on their website drinking alcohol to show how cool they were. You know what? Was Jesus like the world? Was John the Baptist like the world? Was Paul like the world? Was Peter like the world? None of them were like the world. Amen. And there's a, he says, when you go in, you need to take down their idols. You need to take down their altars. You need to mow down their groves. Don't leave any of it standing because if you leave it standing, you're going to be tempted to start worshiping there. Guys, if we leave those things in our home that were past temptations to sin, there's going to come a time when the enemy is going to throw that thing up again. Remove it. Amen? Amen? Take it down. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's encouraging them to do. Then he says in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that good news? You know what? God's going before you. You have nothing to fear. He is faithful. Step out in faith. Be, a, be strong and be of good courage. I love this. And literally mean, when it says be strong, it literally can be translated be a man. Be strong. Don't fear. God is with you. The previous generation was neither strong nor courageous. They turned their tails and ran in the face of every adversity. Oh, I can't do it. You're right. You can't. God's greater. Trust him. Amen? Step out. Watch what God will do. He's faithful. They didn't trust God's promises. They fearfully forgot all he had promised them, and so they were afraid. Fear is to the devil what faith is to the Lord. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? Guys, we have nothing to be afraid of. Our God is in control. But I'm afraid for this. I'm, a, I'm afraid for all that. I might, this might happen. This could happen. If it does, God allowed it. He's in control. It's okay. Amen? Eternal perspective changes our attitude. Amen? Oh, hey, God's faithful. Pastor David can't be that simple. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. We're afraid because we, 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 do, we doubt that God is in control. We're anxious because we forget that God's in control, right? We're worried, oh no, God forgot about me. No, he didn't. You forgot about him, amen? God's not forgetting about you. Paul said God, again, has not given us a spirit of fear, and faith is like a muscle that grows through exercise. It's amazing how if you step out in faith once, it's easier to step out in faith the next time, amen? The first time is petrifying, but the next time is a little easier, why? Because we know, you know what, God didn't abandon me. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy every time we step out. But there's giants in the land, and this is an opportunity for them to step out in faith and get to see what God would do when he promises us something. The focus, again, is not on Moses, not on his leadership, but on God's faithfulness. Moses is no longer leading But God is in control. He's still with them. He will never leave them. Man, I love that promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You're his treasured possession. Giving ministry away by taking all the focus off you and placing it all on God. We see a clear example of that with Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Second point identify those who God has called, look for those who God has called. Identify it. You know, I don't sit down and go through the directory and start looking for called people. I wonder if that guy's called. You're all called. You know that, right? God saved you, so he called you. But you know what? It's recognizing what God has called you to do. I know I, and some of you are going to say, oh, it's so true, but some of you get frustrated with me that I won't come up and tell you what to do. I will never do that. Why don't you just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I appreciate the heart. But you know what? If I tell you, you're doing it for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for the Lord. If I call you, I have to sustain you. If God calls you, He will sustain you. Amen? If God calls you to do it, I won't have to call you up the week. It's your turn to be in children's ministry again. Don't forget I promised that in a weak moment. Now, look, here I am. You know, that, but if God calls you to do it, you'll wake up and you'll be excited. You'll have studied the week before. You might have the pictures of the kids in your class on your refrigerator and be praying for them all week, and you're excited to go on Sunday. You can hardly wait. That's calling, amen, as opposed to dragging. Pastor Chuck says when he was a kid, he had a drug problem. I was like, really? I didn't know that. He said, yeah, my mom drugged me to church. She drugged me to Bible study. She, I don't want to have to drag you into ministry. I do not want to have to drag anyone into ministry. So God is, needs to be the one to call you. You just be obedient what God calls you. So identify those who God has called. Look at verse 7. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with the people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Boy, what a great word of exhortation as he's given the ministry away. He doesn't say, okay, Joshua, everything you saw me do, remember, I'm your example. Follow me. Remember how I did things? Just do them the same way I did. He didn't say that at all. You know what he says? The Lord. He's the one. Follow his example. But I want you to notice Joshua was not voted in by men. Sometimes people say, why don't we vote at Calvary Chapel? Show me in the Bible where they ever voted. They voted one time that I know of in Scripture, and they voted and they made Matthias the, uh, new, the apostle to replace Judas, and then you never see him again. How'd that voting work out? Not so much. Guys, we don't vote. God's in control. We have one leader in the church. His name's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, I grew, up in the, I grew up in a denominational church, and I remember they used to vote on stuff, and all it turned into was fighting. People would fight over what color to paint their eye Green, blue, no, oh, green. Blue's too boyish. Green's too neutral. Pink, oh. Stop! We don't do that, amen? It's been said at Calvary Chapel, you vote with your feet. You vote by showing up, Amen? We're not voted in by men. We're called by God and recognized by men. Bringing into the promised land was God's work. He was going to do it. But God almost always does his work through men or women who make themselves available to him. Again, we're tools in the hands of the master. Moses not only identified Joshua's calling, but you know what? Moses is the one who'd been equipping him all these years. When everybody else was in a mess, Joshua would go with Moses. Joshua was his right-hand guy. Pastor Don used to talk about the fourfold ministry of Jesus. He had the three, the 12, the 70, and the crowd. The crowd he would speak to in parables. The 70 would spend more time with him. Those were pressing in. Within that 70, though, he had the 12. And those were the guys he was really pouring his life into. But within the 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John, who he took with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, took with him when he went out to pray. And his exhortation was to us as a pastor or as someone in ministry, you should have the three and the 12 and the 70 in the crowd. You should have those who you're pouring your life into, where if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, they could step in and things would just keep going. That's the way ministry ought to be. When Jesus left, who really got the lion's share of ministry? Peter, James, and John. The guys who'd been pouring his life into. Even though Peter would deny him, God would continue to use him. Moses had not only identified his calling, but he had discipled him, and now he encourages him with his calling and with God's promises. Joshua could be strong and good courage because the Lord went before him. He is the one who goes before you. That's why we can be strong. He will be with you. That's why we can remain faithful. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's why we need not, as it says, do not fear nor be dismayed. So as you and I step out in faith and obedience to God's command and calling upon our lives, be strong and be of good courage because you're not doing it by yourself. Isn't that a word of, doesn't that bring comfort? Doesn't it bring comfort to know that when you start to share your faith and fear and trepidation with a person next to you at work, that you're not by yourself? Have you ever opened your mouth and just watched God show up? Amen? You start speaking, you're like, I did not even remember that. Where did that verse come from? And just God just starts, right? Because he's not looking for ability, but availability. He's looking for someone who was willing, giving ministry away by taking all the focus off of you and placing it on God by identifying those who God has called. So Moses got up in front of everybody and unashamedly said, I recognize God's calling upon his life. God's the one who's called him. I'm just identifying it in front of everybody. This is like an ordination service, the first ordination service in the Bible. He got in front of all the people and he recognized what God was doing in Joshua's life. Number three, emphasize the absolute necessity of the teaching, reading, and studying of God's word. If people are going to follow, you know, if they're going to be in ministry, if they're going to serve the Lord, the only way they're going to be effective is if they're people of the word. No other way. Verse nine, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests and the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place that he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So Moses wrote this law. He's speaking of the first five books of the Bible. And in those days, imagine the first five books of your Bible being handwritten. Imagine how big that was. Imagine how much time it took. He writes the five books of the Bible, and it's given into the care of the. What does it say there? Delivered to the priest, the sons of Levi, those who bore the ark, and all the elders of Israel. Those who had spiritual headship, what was one of the things that they were to take care of? To watch over, to mind, to keep intact the word of God. The same is true today. Those who are called by God to have a position of spiritual leadership in the church, number, one of their number one callings, if not the number one calling, is to protect, watch over, and deliver the word of God without compromise. Nothing new under the sun. This first time these elders are called, and this is what they're called to do. The year of release, the Sabbath, the Feast of Tabernacles, the year of release once every seven years. Boy, it'd be great if they have this today. Once every seven years, all your debts were forgiven. Can you imagine? Hey now, let's vote for that, right? I should run for president with just that, I'd probably win. But can you imagine? Every seven years all your debts are paid for. And so in that seventh year, they would plant no harvest, they would completely rest, trust in the Lord. They would have the feast of tabernacles where they would be in tents for a period of time. When they're out in the feast of tabernacles, they were it was a reminder of when they wandered in the wilderness. And during that time, the command was given, this time of rest and refreshing, this time of, you know, a brand new start in a sense. He told them the word of God was to be read to all the people. So all five of these books, you think I teach for a long time. Can you imagine he would get up and everybody, man, woman, and child, everybody would sit together and the entire five books of the law was read in their hearing to make sure that they never forgot it. What an awesome picture. I just imagine the children being there. It says, gather the people together, verse 12, men and women and little ones, the strangers who was within your gates. So even the Gentile who might have been there, come sit down. We're going to read you the word. They may hear and they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Since Mount Sinai, it was the word of God that had differentiated Israel from the surrounding nations. It would be the word of God that would serve as the standard to keep them from becoming like the pagan lands around them. How do we not become like the world? We make the word of God the standard. Guys, if we don't make it the standard, we're going to become like the world. Amen? It's so easy, and we'll talk about this next uh, Wednesday night. when We look at Jacob having four wives. Where did that standard come from, Jacob? Was that God's standard or the world's standard? And today we go, we don't practice polygamy. Yeah, we don't have mass marriage. We have serial marriage. We marry many people one at a time, right? Now, let me say this. If in your past, there's been a, you've blown it, start serving God now, amen? God's faithful, he's forgiving, he's merciful. Start serving him now. But we've become today like divorce is no big deal. They'll try to say, well, divorce is just as high. The rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world. I sure hope not. Amen? Now, I'm not saying there aren't biblical divorce because there is, but it's rare. And God's highest is always that marriage would be sustained. But the world we live in says, oh, he's not treating you right. He's not buying you enough stuff. Get rid of it. And the point is the word of God needs to be taught that there would be a standard. Now, I want you to notice something here. I love this. Note the progression. Read that verse again. It says in verse 12. It says, gather that they may hear, learn, fear, observe. Hear, learn, fear, observe. Hear the word of God, learn the word of God, have a awe and reverence and fear for the word of God, and then start obeying the word of God. Guys, if we only do the first three, we've missed it. If we truly have a fear and an awe and a reverence for the word of God, it will be shown in our obedience to the word of God. Amen? So here's the exhortation to go beyond just knowing what it says, but to living it out. We need to have godly fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the word of God must produce obedience. We must not just know it, but obey it. Then he says that their and that there, verse 13, their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. As long as you live in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. The Word of God taught to the children. Let me encourage you with something. If you don't know this already, from the nursery, as soon as they're able to understand anything on up, we teach them the Word of God. There's, you know, there's crafts and things that go with it, but the Word of God is being taught to every single child in this church. Why? Because the Word of God transforms their lives. They are teachers, not babysitters. Amen? And they deliver the Word of God. God has no grandchildren. Our children must come to their own intimate relationship with the Lord. Where does that begin? It begins at the youngest of age. In giving ministry away, the word of God must be taught to every man, every woman, and every child. How do people know that they're called by God? How does God move somebody's heart? The word of God transforms their life. Grabs a hold of them. You hear something being taught and you go, ooh, that's, oh yeah, amen. And you know the Holy Spirit is speaking. And now it brings a sense of urgency in your heart and starts to change your character. and starts to give you a burden for something. That's how you know. That's where calling often comes from. The word of God being taught and taught with boldness. Giving ministry away, the desperate need for intimacy with God. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold the days approach when you must die. Thanks God. Then call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Remember in those days, wherever they went, there was a pillar of fire right pillar of smoke that went with them everywhere it was god's presence and they would go before the tabernacle and god's presence would be there and he said you know what you've presented him before the people but you know what you need to present him before me guys if we're gonna have any ability to minister to people we must first be ministering to the lord and minister to by the lord amen guys we cannot give out that which we have not received If you don't spend time like this, you're going to be very ineffective like this. It must be poured in that it might be poured out. We need to spend time at his feet, be receiving from him that it's a mere outflowing of who we are in Christ that comes pouring out of us when we minister to others. Through the wilderness journey, you find Moses and Joshua together before the Lord often. Joshua was qualified to serve because he was at home in the presence of the Lord. Are you at home in the presence of the Lord? Start being at home there. Start spending time in his presence. Verse 15. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of, of the tabernacle. So God is speaking directly to those whom he had called. You see God's hand upon them. You see the Lord's spirit resting upon them and in, again he's going to instruct and direct and lead them. And when does it come? It comes through intimate fellowship with God. God, how can how can we guys? How can we know God's heart if we don't spend time with him? I rarely have people come and say, "I'm totally baffled about what God wants us to do." when it's someone who spends time in his presence. Now, it does happen. Sometimes God, you know, wants us to just keep trusting and waiting upon him. He doesn't always show us immediately. But most often, I believe, he does give us clear direction as we wait upon him and spend time with him. We need to pick up the pace here. Giving ministry away, seeing people through God's eyes, have a God-given burden and urgency for people and where they are headed. Verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the, foreign, of the foreigners of the land where they go in to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. How heartbreaking this must have been for Moses to hear. Why would he tell him? Never thought about that? Moses, you're going to die. And by the way, all those people who follow you, they're all going to forsake me. You know why he tells him? Moses and Joshua. There needs to be a sense of urgency. It needs to be handed down to the next generation. There needs to be a warning that if, they can, if, they, if and when they choose to live this way, the judgment is going to come. Guys, we need to have a sense of urgency. Verse 17. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them. Wait a minute. Didn't he say he would never leave them nor forsake them? Is this a contradiction in Scripture? Read the rest of the verse. Whenever you think you see a contradiction, keep reading. Amen? Often people come to me with a question. They'll go, well, I don't understand this. Read the next verse. Oh, I get it now. Guys, keep reading. Text out of context. All you got left a con, right? Remember that? So keep reading. And what does it say? They shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they have... So they will say in that day, have not these evil come upon us because our God is not among us. I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which you have done. And that they have turned to other gods. God didn't leave them, they left God. Do you see that? It wasn't God forsaking them, it was them forsaking God. They go into the land. They're going to see the idols in the land. They're going to turn away. Now, it's baffling to me sometimes. Don't you just want to shake the children of Israel? Dude, were you there? Now, your parents told you about the parting of the Red Sea. I know you saw manna falling out of the sky. You saw God doing incredible miracles, that pillar of fire hanging over your head. Hello? Do you have a clue who that might have been? You saw God doing all these great and awesome things, and now you get into a land filled with idols, and you bow to a piece of wood. What are you thinking? But isn't that us? We've seen the power of God, the greatness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. We've seen him do great and awesome things. And then we chase after our piece of wood, our career. We bow down to the idol that we polish in our driveway or whatever it might be. The thing that becomes more important to us than the Lord. I don't serve idols, guys. We don't have to serve anyone other than him. God's God's anger would be aroused against them. They would be devoured because they would turn to evil. God doesn't forsake us. We forsake him, we turn and worship the false gods of this world. And again, how, how bum Moses must have been. How do you think he must have felt hearing this and learning this? Verse 19, now here's why he did it. Now, therefore, write this down. Write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel and put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. The song is in chapter 32. Let me encourage you to go home and read it. But in chapter 32 is the song that they were taught, the first recorded worship song in the Bible. And the song reminds them of all that God had done for them, the character, their character, how they had forsaken him. It's a constant reminder to them. And he says, I want you to teach them this song because they're going to be tempted to forsake me. Isn't it amazing how when you listen to worship in your car, you got a whole different attitude? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed when you listen to praise songs? or It's just, boy, my mentality, everything about me is different. And boy, we need that. And they needed that too. Verse 20. When I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Verse 21. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them into the land of which I swore to give to them. You know what? When they come into the land, he knew that when things got good, they would forget about him. Here's the sad truth. In times of desperation, we can cry out to God, but we can soon become faithless when things are going well. Soon as we become self-sufficient, we don't have to be desperate anymore, we can stop running to the Lord. We can start to trust in ourselves. That's exactly what was going to happen to the children of Israel. They're going to go in. God's going to bless them. They're going to be so blessed. They're going to cease to be desperate for God. They're not going to have to cry out for manna anymore. And because they don't have to cry out to God or wait upon God's provision, they're going to start trusting in themselves. And this song would serve as a reminder. Giving ministry away. Being faithful to God's calling today. Look at verse 22. Therefore Moses wrote this song when? What does it say? The same day. God told him to write a song, and he wrote it when? The same day. Is anybody else paying attention? Just the guys over here. The same day. Amen? Here's the encouragement. If God calls us to do something, let's do it today. Amen. Too often it's hey, that sounds, you know, God's giving me a real burn. I've had this burden for 15 years. I've had people tell me that. Really? And now you're telling me what I need to do about the burden you've had for 15 years. That's often, they come up, you know, pastor, I got this real burden for something. Well, why don't you do it? Oh, no, no, I'm not called. I just have a burden to tell other people what they need to do. No. If God calls you to do it, do it today. Amen? Today's. Aren't you glad that somebody witnessed to you that day? They didn't say, you know what, I'm sure it will be here tomorrow. Maybe I'll get them next week. I'm a little busy right now. I don't have time to do it. You know what? It's the excuse of the church today. I'm busy. They could have said, the church is so big. There's three million people here. Someone else will do it, right? There's plenty of people Moses could have said, I'm tired. I'm 120. Let someone else do it. It's my birthday. Come on, give me a day off. He didn't do that. He spent his birthday when he knew he was not going to head into the land of promise, writing the song God told him to write. And you know what? It's in the Bible. Anything else he would have done that day would have paled in comparison to that. Amen? Anything else we do instead of what God has called us to do will pal in comparison to what God has called us to do. Moses is faithful to the end even when he knows he's not hit, hes not going to get to go into the land. Boy, I love his faithfulness. In spite of the predicted rebellion, Joshua being formally you know, called to be the guy, it says, Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. He knew the warnings, and he still encouraged him. He assured him of the promise, I myself will be with you. God said, I, you know, here's the things that are going to be before you, but know that you go before me, and I will be faithful to you. Even if we live in one of the darkest counties in the world, God is going before us. Amen? Amen. God is faithful. Last point giving ministry away, putting the word into the hands of those who are protected in the midst of a perverse, wicked, and stiff necked generation. And then it says in verse 24 So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. A copy of the Pentateuch was put into a box or a chest that was placed right beside the Ark. The Ten Commandments were in the Ark. Remember that? In the Ark, jar of manna, Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod. In the Ark, outside of the Ark, the book of the law was set beside it. Constant reminder. You know what, though, guys? Praise God that the mercy seat was placed over the top of the Ten Commandments. Because if you look into the Ten Commandments without the mercy seat, you're guilty. But praise God the mercy seat was placed upon it. And there the priest would sprinkle the blood of the lamb because his blood has cleansed us from all sin. Amen? But he encourages them to hold on to the law. God's word is a witness against sin and rebellion. If anyone knew... About a stiff necked and perverse people, it was Moses. And without a standard, there's no sin or rebellion. Today, we live in moral relativism to where everything goes as long as it feels good to me. There's no standard anymore. Can I encourage you as parents, set a standard in your house for your kids? Don't be ashamed of bringing discipline. Don't, you know, oh, we need to let them express themselves. I heard a guy say on the radio, he said, yeah, time out, what's that about? My dad took time out of his day to, to paddle our rear ends. <laughs> I thought, amen to that. You know, the, the, God gives them a nice soft spot right here. They're not going to die, it's okay. God made that for a reason, amen? But the point is, there needs to be a standard. And when there is no law, what happens? When there is no godly standard, we're starting to lend in it, live in it. Without a standard, there can be no sin, no rebellion. There must be a plumb line. Look at the last few verses. It says, For I know your rebellion, you stiff neck. If today while I am alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Verse 28, Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I... May speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him anger to anger through the work of your hands. Moses protects the word and then rebukes those in a position of authority, forewarning them of what would happen if they got away from the word of God. Boy, that message needs to be taught to every pastor in the country today. Amen? This is where we're headed if we get away from the word of God. And yet when I meet with pastors, there's every excuse in the world not to teach the Bible. If I teach the Bible, no one will come. I said, then have no one come. Amen? Amen? But God, I was trying to draw a crowd. I didn't tell you to draw a crowd. I told you to make disciples. And you can't make disciples by a popularity contest, but only by teaching the word of God. In the last days, they will raise up for themselves ear ticklers, those who will tell people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Can I tell you something? I love you guys incredibly. But let me tell you right now, I'm not worried about being popular with you. You know why? Because if I did, I wouldn't be able to teach the message with great boldness. The word of, I have to stand before almighty God one day. That's the judge I'm worried about. Amen? Now, I love you guys unconditionally, but because I love you, I need to deliver the word of God with boldness. And he's sharing with them, this is what's going to happen if you get away from the word of God. They will do evil in the last days. When was the last time we loved somebody enough to warn them of the judgment of the sin they're behaving in? Not from a, not as a gossip, not as a self-righteous person, But to come alongside somebody in love and to put your arm around them and say, bro, sister in the Lord, dear friend, do you know where you're headed? Do you know what the end result of this is going to be? I don't want to be a busybody. It's not being a busybody. It's being faithful. Amen? If you see me doing it, please love me enough to come alongside me. We need to be able to do that in the church. Amen? That's how the body of Christ should function. And then it says, And Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel, and the words of this song the words of the song until they were ended so he got them together and he brought this word to them moses gathers the whole assembly together and he spoke the word and i want you to go home when you get a chance and read that so giving ministry away moses seemed like the most irreplaceable guy in the world he had all the credentials it seemed from the world's perspective what are we going to do without moses how do we give ministry away by taking the focus off of man off of you and placing it on God. The God who works through you can continue his work without you. He's faithful identify those who god has called equip them encourage them disciple them put ministry into their hands you might sit and say well pastor dave this is stuff for a pastor to do." No. if you're teaching in the children's ministry maybe god's going to have an assistant there that you can give ministry to if you're in the women's study and you're a table leader you can give ministry away if you're serving in the real practical ministry you can raise up others and put ministry into their hands we all can do that amen On the most practical level, place a strong emphasis on the absolute necessity of the teaching and reading and studying of God's word. Giving ministry away. Remind people constantly the desperate need for intimacy with God. Guys, I don't care how much you study. I don't care how gifted you are. If you're not spending time in God's presence, it's going to be fruitless. Fifth, see see people through God's eyes. One of my constant prayers is, Lord, help me to see my coworkers the way you see them. Give me a burden for them that you have for them. Help my heart to break for them the way your heart breaks for them. Lord, just help me to see them through your eyes. Help me to see my neighbors through your eyes. I'm not always successful in doing that, but that should be our prayer, amen? As opposed to seeing them as an inconvenience. Be faithful to God's calling six months from now. No, today, Amen. God's got a calling on your life. Maybe tonight God, maybe God gave me a bloody nose so you would hear this message so you would know. Maybe, you know, I didn't have the time to complete the message today because all the distractions in the office today. Maybe because it was to encourage somebody here that that calling you've had on your life all those years, maybe today's the day to be busy about it. Amen? And then lastly, put the word into the hands of those who will protect it and won't be afraid to proclaim it boldly. Can I encourage you? All I can speak for is the area that God's given me some headship over. Nobody will ever get up here and teach anything but the Word of God. And if they ever do, it'll be the last time. And they probably won't finish the message. Amen? Why? It's the Word. Not that anybody ever would want to. You guys would boo them out of here if they did. We're going to talk about the seven steps of financial freedom. Boo! It wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. God's Word rocks. Why would we teach anything else? Amen? So, can I encourage you? You're called. If you're here, you're saved, you're called. Ask God, what are you calling me to do? Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then step out in faith and watch what God does. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is always right on time. Nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. Lord, even with all the things that were going on in the office today and the inability to finish the message, Lord, we trust in your sovereignty, even in that. Lord, knowing that your word goes out today and it does not return void. Lord, this has been a word of exhortation for me, maybe a word of exhortation for everyone who's here. Lord, we thank you for the truth in your word that you use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's not many mighty or many great, but it's those who come before you humbly and broken. It's the broken vessels that you can use. So we ask in Jesus' name that you would stir up the gifts within us. You'd fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would respond in obedience to your word and step out in faith. Help us, Lord. Without you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.